so I reiterate here, the bill is dead. The story of this great city is about the years before this night. Kong, how you doing? I'm Andy Curtin. I'm here with Vivek. That is Mamaluchi. right. Uh, Mamaluchi. I'll take that for today. That's the name I'm going with. <laughs> you can find me online at Andy Curtin on pretty much everything. Yeah, like just follow me. Uh, go to Facebook at Funny Vivek with the letter M. M for mana. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, hit subscribe. We also have a pretty sick Patreon uh, up. We're putting up bonus episodes every Thursday and a bunch of other video content and stuff like that. So go to patreon.com slash Ho Ho Pod. The link is in the description. Uh, huge thank you to re- recent patrons, Andrew Dale and Jason. Uh, yeah. So today's guest, very excited to have Jeff Rotemeyer on the podcast. How are you doing, man? Great. Good to be here with you guys. Yeah. 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 So uh, how, where do we start? How long have you been in Hong Kong for? Yeah, I came, I came to Hong Kong about 15 and a half years ago. It's a yeah. good run. Yeah. It's plenty. The typical two-year two year run, you know, because it's coming for two years as an English teacher, and here we are. Where's home? Uh, Vancouver, Canada, just outside. Somehow it seems like everyone who came to teach English teaches for two years and like, yeah, I can't teach English anymore. I got to do something more with my life. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I taught one class. <laughs> yeah. It was tutoring. I met this lady and her daughter in uh, KFC yeah. in Shanghai. Yeah. And by the end of it, it was very clear she didn't want me to see her or her daughter again. I just don't have a disposition for it. I say that like I just I'm the, I I can't my brain can't be patient. I'm like yeah. I told you why don't you know? Yeah, exactly. I he she why didn't you get this? Like uh, <laughs> this is a new language to me. What were you coming for? Like how, how, well, yeah, as an English teacher, and I, I got a job in a, a government primary school. Nice. So yeah, I mean, I love the job. But why? Why would you leave a, a beautiful place like Vancouver? Aren't there enough Hong Kong <laughs> people over there? It's great in the summers. <laughs> you know, I, as a teacher, I would get the best part of Vancouver, which is the two months during the summer. Uh, so I'd be back every year then. But uh, yeah, no, teaching is a great job in Hong Kong. You're you're paid fairly. Uh, the students want to learn. It's a great environment. And you know, as a as a foreign English teacher in the school, I was the only teacher in the school that didn't give homework. So I was an automatic fan favorite. They just love you. Yeah. Well, at 2005, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you feel like the city's changed much since then? I, I, I think so. <laughs> so. Are I mean, we going for all the way back to 2005 sure. to look for change in the city? But it has changed. Yeah, oh, definitely. Like, I don't ask that question. Are yeah. we allowed to Fee, talk about like it's a default, but, but it's a timestamp, you know? Like, it's interesting asking someone who came, who's been there whole life, or yeah. came in the 90s. Like, yeah, yeah. Not many pe- people we've spoken to came... Then. Well, I guess because like when you get here, let's say in 2005, you have this image that it gets imprinted in your mind of like, this is Hong Kong, okay. And then you be here long enough and you look at it now and you're like, okay, this is a very different world we're in. Whereas for me, being born and raised here, I was like, well, this has always been what it's like, right? It's always... You don't think it's changed? I think it's changed. As in like this kind of change is just always... Ha- Hong Kong... The like, change is, is, the, is the default, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, like the escalators, all of a sudden it becomes stairs, it becomes escalators, it becomes like a building. Now there's a garden. It's like, whoa, this is in two years. This and is- they extend to the top of the peak. They and they exactly. extend to Shenzhen and yeah. it's, it's very advanced. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's a one-way one way street, you know? There's only one road you only go That's that way. escalators. <laughs> In the mornings, they go... Exactly. Go to work. That's the escalator direction for Hong Kong. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel... What, what, what would you say is like... A, thinking back, do you remember when you first arrived? Like, do you have like a vivid yeah, memory? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, we, we... Me and my wife came here and... Yeah, we jumped in. We, you know, we didn't have our... We're 
came here with no apartment, right? So we came here to look, and then we found uh, we were caught in like just a torrential downpour How in Causeway Bay. Terrifying is it when you start looking at apartments? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember just being like, "Well, this one's weirdly small, but the next one will be okay." Yeah, and the value we had back then—that's one big change Com- compared oh, to now. Oh man, I mean, the place we had, I think, was like thirteen k for a, a six hundred in Soho. Wow! Oh my! Deal. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that alone with a little balcony and you know, was- Do you know there are there are people now who are old enough to basically rent, but don't even know that image of thirteen k for like six hundred square foot that like you that's happened once in hong kong yeah you've had these numbers this does not compute i remember when i was looking uh in t- 2019 and they were like less than twenty five thousand. they wouldn't even speak to me from yeah. hong kong island yeah you walk in right you're like what's like, your budget d- 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 like, we have nothing that's that's yeah. what we have that's the funny it. thing like on the on the application sheet where the budget is it actually has five empty spaces for you put your number in it's like no i just wanted to use four <laughs> like no we don't work that way here <laughs> you gotta go five or more what are you buying a post office box <laughs> yeah here's a postcard of it flat <laughs> go mail this up something spot. yeah, yeah. It was pretty. I I don't know what I I first came here in two thousand nine because I was living in Shanghai for ten years and it Hong Kong struck me as just being a wild party city. Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, that's that's the biggest changes in my life have been that stage of you know coming here, just my wife hanging out in Soho and you know yeah. bars, nightclubs, etc. You know, having a child, shifting apartments uh, quite often throughout Hong Kong Island, and now getting into the charity world and living on South Lantau, which is a Big, it's a total spectrum. I mean, like what yeah. you described is literally the spectrum of Hong Kong. You've got all yeah. the way from the nightlife all the way down to the charity work that you're involved in as well. So it's like, and you've been a teacher, so you've seen the young generation as well, how they're growing up. And in the government school, you see a whole different world compared to international schools. It's, it's ridiculous. Like whenever you go, you're just like, these are two separate worlds, but in one little small city. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the, the time in the public school really gave me, I mean, 13 years I was in the public school. So you know, it gave me a really good insight to Hong Kong culture. And, you know, I think it's helped a lot, you know, in this charity world. Yeah. yeah. Are your students 100% local there? Yeah, in the public school, they are. I mean, we had a few, I think one or two uh, Pakistani uh, students, which is, uh, you know, very, yeah, also gave me great insight, you know, into the, into the struggles and the challenges that they have, you know, in this community. And uh, how did... I, I I have read some of your uh, you know interviews and stuff online, but how how did you start you know with the because we've brought you on today because you run Impact Hong Kong, which is one of the major charities working with homelessness in the city. You know what was the beginning of that for you? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it's been a crazy ride. You know, I guess it was about yeah eleven years ago. I wanted to do something more meaningful, and I I was a football player at the time, playing football, you know, recreationally in Hong Kong. Ouch, that hurts to say something more meaningful. He's like, I'm a football player, and, you know, no meaning over there. No. <laughs> He's like, much more than... Teaching children, no I'm, meaning there. Yeah, exactly. I'm kicking the ball around <laughs> the trip. I mean, what's the point of that, you know? <laughs> All these great things, just meaningless. Look at Ronaldo, yeah, just yeah. in there, empty, now gone. Shots fired, yeah. No, um, <laughs> you know, it was, yeah, I was just, yeah, I was just seeking something more, you know, and, and I started, had an idea just to coach, uh, you know, ethnic minorities, asylum seekers and refugees in football. So I just simply reached out to charities that support those groups. So I, I rented a pitch, invited the kids to join, and I just started coaching. Um, turned it into a bit of a program, got Diodora sponsorship. Um, I was giving a talk on that. And then when I sat down after my talk, I was approached by a doctor who's the head doctor of the Down Syndrome Association. And he asked if I had ever considered doing that for the Down Syndrome community. And at that time, I'd never met anyone with Down Syndrome, but I, I said I would try and, and just changed my life, really. Just, uh, just became the highlight of my week. Yeah. And I just, I, I just fully took that, that 
opportunity on. Wouldn't you say like the charity events in Hong Kong, there's a real domino effect because even myself, I've worked with different organizations and you work with one, all of a sudden there's someone in the, over there. Oh, that we'd like brag. Bloody hell. God. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us helping the world. I also Andy, do work. charity work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bought a little he sticker does. on Saturday <laughs> yeah, for $2. <laughs> no, but I mean, what I find interesting is that you wouldn't, you wouldn't even imagine these worlds. Like you said, the Down syndrome, you know, kids and you're like, oh, I never even considered that initially when I thought of this idea of, you know, helping asylum seekers and all those youngsters as well. Yeah. And w- what was the most uh, fascinating slash bizarre slash touching one a surprise events you've done? Like I was surprisingly contacted by a hospital once to do comedy shows for mm. patients. And I was like, wow, I've never, I never imagined that. And I did it. And it was a really me- a special moment for me. Like, was there any one of those things that you just didn't expect to ever do and you've done and you're like, wow, that has left an impression on me? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, this has been a crazy ride. So many. I mean, just in you sharing that story, one thing I never thought about as well was like cleft lip. Yeah. And I, we were doing these junk boat parties. People with like a cleft palate? Yeah. Yeah. And we would, uh, we were doing these junk boat parties at the original stages to kind of raise cash and have fun at the same time. So we'd hire a, a night junk the boat. Charity junk boat. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, getting drunk <laughs> for the cost. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's the kind of help. We're, we're going to have a live auction <laughs> after three shots. Charity work does not have to be boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and... Um, I reached out to a charity called SOCO, a Society of Community Organization, and I asked, is there anybody, like a, a spe- specific person that really could use a hand? And she mentioned this one lady who's uh, trying to, doesn't have enough money for cleft lip, but also her father just died. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. So we did this jump boat party, raised uh, 20K for her the next stage of her operation, and then we went and did that. But it was just like... That's <laughs> such a funny sentence. It was amazing, you know, just getting, just bringing people together who care. Yeah, and and seeing a direct result because of that care, right? Yeah. It was just a really cool event. I don't mean to laugh, but it was like she's like she's kind of for the operation. Her dad just died. You're like, sounds like she's ready to party. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately thinks of junk boat people. You're like that's a junk boat right <laughs> yeah, exactly. there. Exactly, junk boat um, for you. Junk yeah, exactly. For you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, in your honor. She's like, but I'm. This all happened in my life. We're gonna she's get like, drunk I'm right miserable. now, and I'm, tomorrow you're gonna be happy again. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, see, that's another bizarre thing I find with, with charities in Hong Kong is that when you do, like, fundraiser events, it's kind of a weird experience. You're like, so I'm over here partying, but it's for this cause, and you feel kind of... I'm also awkward. so wary about, like, how much of this is going to the charity. Yeah, yeah, that huge, as well. Like, in, in comedy, the, the number of comedy promoters that are giving, like, 10%, and they, the thing is that if you put charity on a comedy show, you're going to sell out. Like, that's... yeah. So they're going to make more money than they would have made just running a show. Yeah. And uh, do, do you see people taking advantage of the charity like that? Yeah, it's it's yeah. I've learned. I mean, I never grew up in in the charity world. I'm just learning as I go through this process. But yeah, you get that question a lot. Where's the money going? You know, questions of admin percentages with charities. Oh, of course. But do you see people doing it stuff. wrong? Do I see charities doing it wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I would say you see a lot of charities that definitely don't don't do a great job but i think also you have charities are just unfairly treated in my opinion they're they're judged not based on the product that they deliver they're they're judged on their admin percentages Mm. which very often leads to just charities not doing a good job because you're not getting the best people to do it because you have this fear of 
just yeah instead of tackling the, the problem you're you got to spend money to raise money right yeah i mean sometimes like it, you do yeah it's a weird thing where like let's say you want to hire staff right on your team and you're afraid that if you charge if you spend too much money on like you know just a staff salaries and everything when you had the final report that you got to show it's like oh you spent so much money on staff where you're doing you help so many people but it's like a long-term thing right you got to kind of mm. build up the foundation maybe you need the staff to build up all the connections and everything so that's a that's a really weird thing i have with like when i work with charities i'm actually curious to see how they perform but i'm more interested in what is the objective of your charity like if you told me that you spend a lot of money doing posters and this is and that's but then your objective is really to help kids and i'm like hey i want to help this bunch of kids as well i'm i'm fine i have no problem with the admin costs because i realized that it's a really weird way to look at the charity from the percentages of like how much it's going to where but there have been some that i've done where you go there and you're like this clearly is just an excuse to have a party <laughs> I, you know I, i've been to gigs when i'm like this was supposed to be a charity fundraiser but this clearly is not about the fundraising like the fundraising is like okay that'll happen later on at 11 p.m but 8 p.m onwards let's get the partying going on let's get the drinks out i'm like guys you, you know this is kind of awkward for me if i'm hosting a whole event but i'm not talking about the charity until three hours into the whole event right yeah. so you have all sorts of these weird things but i mean i'm sure like with, with you jeff's like you have people approach you to you know collaborate or ask for your help and stuff where you just couldn't help them like you just something was you were tied down or there was some issue that you were dealing with that you just couldn't help them and you didn't know how to deal with it you mean with with uh, like people that we were helping on the streets helping on the streets or like in, during your, your journey to where you are now i mean when you started the whole charity mm. uh, community outreach and stuff like that were there times when let's say people or organizations contact you and saying hey jeff we love what you're doing can you help us it's like the, the doctor asked you to train other kids as well mm. uh, have you had occasions where you're like i really wish i could but i i can't right now i'm totally bogged down there's no way i could do this I'm sorry I can't help you guys. Have you ever had those moments? Not many, to be honest, because we, we really are a huge community now. We've had roughly almost 10,000 volunteers. This is a massive... That's a phenomenal number. Yeah, it's an incredible yeah. caring community that we've got. So when you have that, there are solutions that you can find. I think one struggle that jumps to mind there is is in uh, not seeing enough support for asylum seekers in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, that is definitely a, a big passion of mine. Um, from Hong Kong or... In uh, Hong Kong. <laughs> oh, from Hong Kong. Oh. Um, I noticed you mentioned online that uh, y- the the initi- initial step towards Impact Hong Kong was um, that you just once a month wanted to go and do a walk around and start giving people food. How, how did you, how did that go the first time you went out and how did it develop? Yeah, it was an eye opener. Uh, definitely never knew it was even an issue in Hong Kong. And then we went out. Uh, distributed the food and then I was like wow we need to really like to do that again invited people to come once a month and then I think it was after four or five months we just had too many people too many volunteers it was like 30 or 40 You're too many volunteers yeah yeah there's a lot of caring people in Hong Kong when given the chance to do something meaningful and the volumes yeah. of walks you do now actually can do you mind yeah. sharing people what a walk is yeah for yeah impact? definitely definitely it's a, so we, yeah that's how we started with that kindness walk and that's the name i gave it kindness walk which is pretty much it you go out and show kindness to people it's the most uh, canadian thing ever <laughs> <laughs> but but also non like really a different strategy than in any other charity i've i've come across and so many organizations religious organizations charities are feeding the homeless but our our approach is very 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 uh non-forceful so we don't interview people we don't photograph them 
Um, we don't force conversation on people because that's a mistake. That's on made. the homeless. Yeah, it's a, it's such a common mistake. I think you, you know? should do it to anyone, really. No, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. want that. I'm doing it to you right now. <laughs> yeah, like, talk to me. Talk to me. Here's a sushi roll. Talk to me. Yeah, I am in a corner right now, to be honest. <laughs> um, on purpose. On purpose. <laughs> but that should uh, apply to the homeless and people sitting next to you on airplanes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Very true. Very yeah. true. But yeah, you've got food. They're starving, and you you make this assumption. Oh, they just love hearing everything I'm saying. They just love talking to me so much but that individual is facing a problem and issues that you could never comprehend and they might have had the worst night possible and they just need food so the key to it in our strategy is just hit them again and again and again with recurring kindness we just say hello pass them some food an invitation card to our center and that recurring kindness it really does result in them coming in and that this process works we're in the trust on the streets and we feed them and then when they come in our center that's where we get to know them uh, as a, hopefully a friend and then see how we can best support them. Well, it's interesting you use that word friend because I've, I've seen you talk about that before and this idea that there are various reasons why people in Hong Kong are homeless, but the one commonality you've seen is that they lack a friend that cares about them or someone that cares about them. Definitely. Um, how does, you know, ha, how do you notice that and, and how does it change when you're able to provide That's such that? such a Hong Kong thing though, lacking friends because like the Hong Kong mentality Speak is very yourself, like... Buddy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm doing this because I have to. I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, what I'm saying is like, the whole Hong Kong thing is like, I remember when I went to Vancouver, right, for my first time and I went there and there's this habit that when you get off the bus, you say thank you to the driver and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Simple things like that where my brain could not process that. I was like, wait, wait, wait. So I got to thank someone who I paid for the service I received. You're like, wow, everybody knows the bus driver. Yeah, number one, that. Number two, I'm like, man, like this is a small community. Wait, you don't say thanks in Hong Kong? When you get off the bus? Yeah. Not the big ones, at least. Maybe the minibus at most, but not the big bus. Oh, man, you're an awesome. <laughs> no, yeah, I, that's I, pretty rude. You know, exactly. <laughs> oh, hold on a second, people. I lived here my whole life. You don't tell me how to live here. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's the aspect. I think in Hong Kong, the mentality has always been like, it's not that people don't want to reach out. It's more like, you know, I got better things to do or, you know, I don't really know you. You don't know me. Let's leave it at that. Like neighbors, you know, like mm. you very often you live with the, uh, your neighbors opposite, but you never see them or you never even ever know about them. I couldn't name one neighbor I've had in 12 years of living in China. Now, that's rude, Andy. You should learn how to say thank you getting off the bus. I say hi. But I think that's a really like like Hong Kong I wouldn't say flaw, but it's a very Hong Kong quality, but I don't personally like it. But then I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize that all they need is that one friend just saying hi and just saying, hey, you know, we're here. I'm here. Let's get on with our lives. Do you think this is a unique quality to homelessness in Hong Kong or do you think that's a, a characteristic of homelessness everywhere? No, I think everywhere, uh, everywhere. So in Vancouver, Canada, you have a huge homeless problem, but it's very, very different than the one here. In but what ways? Well, you have uh, much more social support in Canada, so the welfare allowance is a lot higher. The the opportunities for shelter are, are provided by many more organizations. Uh, whether you're even if you're somebody who uses drugs, severe mental illness, they will provide shelter for you in Vancouver. It's still an overwhelming number of homeless individuals there, so there's waiting lists sometimes. But um, you also have a lot of the homeless there because they are getting a, a larger welfare allowance and the accommodation and food support. They'll resort to uh, panhandling, uh, you know, begging for money, and the loonies and toonies add up. So it's a difficult process there. But I've met many homeless individuals in Vancouver. If you could somehow get on a one-on-one level with somebody there, that would be the, the easiest way. If you could somehow develop a real friendship with somebody on the streets and offer them, after they have that friendship, an opportunity that would be able to, to replace that with that, 
it would be a no-brainer. So going back to Hong Kong, you know, how, how do you see this role of, of lacking friendship you know, affecting the people that you're, you're, you're working with? And how do you try to provide it yourself? Yeah, you have to you have to build communities, right? We're we're one big community now, and then we have to foster smaller communities. So we have co living spaces that we've started opening up, which are three bedroom apartments. So we transition individuals. When we first get people off the streets, we put them into our hostel uh, hostel guest house. Um, they'll stay in there. They'll get support with us daily. And then where is that? That's in Mongkok. Yeah, okay, near area. near near the location where you do the yes, Tai Kok oh. Choi is our our main offices and sports counseling rooms are in Tai Kok Choi, which is right next to Mongkok and Olympic Olympic Station. As well. And has that been affected by COVID? Um, not not from us. We we the whole all of twenty twenty we operated every single day. Um, you know, five hundred meals a day. Um, we're on the streets every single night, multiple locations, and yeah, we have acted, and even our staff. You know, in 2020, we went from having seven full-time staff up to 28. So we're really, really, really on the move. Do you feel like, can you think of people that have transitioned out of homelessness in your interactions with them? Yeah, I mean, in, in speaking of the friendship, the friendship aspect. So one of the individuals was homeless in Happy Valley Tunnel for over 10 years. Um, we earned his trust there. He came all the way from Happy Valley to Taikok Choi to see us because of that trust. Mm. That's a big. That's a big thing. You yeah, have to yeah, really yeah. appreciate that effort, and it's like us running a marathon is what I equate it to. And you know, he came all the way. We became friends. We offered him an opportunity in our program. Got strong. Graduated. Got a job in a restaurant. Uh, making H- how old? Um, he's sixty-two. Oh, 62. Wow, nice. local guy. I mean, the average age of the homeless in Hong Kong is around fifty-nine, sixty. Yeah, local mm. Hong Konger. The other thing yeah. I've noticed in you know my interactions with them is that. Uh, when I think of homeless people in Australia, immediately they're you know mentally unwell or there's drugs. I know that's not always the case, but I feel like the homelessness I've seen here, people for the most part seem pretty normal. Actually, you know. Well, I mean, I is that a say, fair statement or is that unfair? No, it's definitely not a fair statement. But it's a. Uh, I'm not saying there's none of the yeah. other side, but I was shocked at how normal some of them seemed and together and coherent and. And and I and I just thought, wow, this is. It struck me with those certain people I'm thinking of that this is really much more an economic thing, or maybe I'm co- totally wrong about that. You know, it's it's no. I would say I'd say 100 percent of the homeless we meet outside or have mental illness of some sort. 100 percent. Yeah, 100 wow. percent. Whether it's uh, is is simple, which is not not simple, but it's depression. Uh, it's very very hard to sleep outside. It damages you. It hurts you. Right, and, and the people that we meet outside have suffered from serious, serious trauma in their lives. So you have, you know, what led to their homelessness is the one aspect, right? Whether it's rape, whether it's a child dying, whether it's, you know, physical, mental abuse, and et cetera, et cetera. Then you have the, the trauma and the, the pain of living outside without, with, you know, living in that pain, but also seeing absolutely no hope in ever being able to get up again. Because... To be able to get up off the streets, you've got to somehow get a job with yeah, with no address, bringing your suitcase in, potentially smelling because you haven't you slipped outside. Yeah, which some people do as well, right? There's employed many, homelessness many here. Many right? are, yeah, many are. That's 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 because of the price of property. So a lot of those individuals you do see, but you know you'd have to be able to sustain that job to save about ten to thirteen thousand dollars to be able to afford a deposit, and then yeah. you have to continue working in that jobs that you somehow got as a homeless individual. It's just a very, very difficult ride, and how could yeah. you possibly do that without a friend? 
I mean, yeah. you know, going back, you look at that individual, he came out of Happy Valley Tunnel, went through our program, got strong, got a job making, uh, you know, very good salary, 17K a month. But he left that job because he, he was alone and he, want, he came back to us uh, and took a full-time job with us. He was the first full-time person we hired, uh, making about a little bit more than half the wage. But he would prefer to work with us yeah. in our community than yeah. having that job and being alone. The job is not enough. And, uh, you know, when people think of how do you help the homeless problem in Vancouver, Canada or in Hong Kong, they, they quickly think shelter. Yeah. And shelter just doesn't work. You know, you could take 100 individuals off the streets tonight, give them a free accommodation for an entire year. Yeah. And at the end of that year, they would pretty much 99% of them would become homeless again. It's just a very difficult, very difficult thing on the streets here. So... With that friendship aspect, why is it is it that they have people around them that have broken their trust? Is is that where it's broken down? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, tr- I mean that's that's definitely one aspect for sure. You know, there's a it's a tough it's a tough world, Hong Kong. You know, it's a it's a tough one. So when you're you're looking at the homeless issue in Hong Kong, there's the street sleepers, but then you also have the coffin homes, caged homes, you know, subdivided apartments, uh, rooftop dwellings. So you These would put people living in in very uh, poor accommodation, which is so common here, in the category of people that we're talking about. Uh, I would count individuals who live in illegal spaces, spaces that are even by defined by the government as illegal. Those are homeless people, right? So a, a person who's living in a coffin home, which is an inhumane space, would never be considered a home, in my opinion. It's illegal. It's inhumane. It's unacceptable. So when you start really, truly accounting for the number of homeless individuals in Hong Kong, which I believe includes those people... Uh, it doesn't let the government off in saying that it's not a problem because it is a huge problem. And uh, it, the more people that understand that, the better. What about the refugees? Yeah, that's another one. Sometimes people think that people living in McDonald's are, oh, they're fine. They're in shelter. Yeah, like, no, It's dude. okay. No. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a restaurant that, number one, isn't a homeless shelter. They're turning the air conditioners on very low at night. They're vacuuming, partitioning off the benches so you can't lie down. And they wake you up if you're sleeping. Yeah. So this is not a good situation. Yeah. And we're talking about 500 people a night uh, in the last count that sleep in McDonald's every night. Yeah. Which is now closed at 6 p.m. because of COVID. Yeah, that hurts, man. I mean, especially with all the grease in the air, imagine the acne you also get with that. Yeah. <laughs> could be worse. Yeah. I could be eating McDonald's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right over there. There's one thing staying around it and another thing ingesting it. That'd be yeah. so funny. Someone's like, would you like some of my food? They're like, no. <laughs> yeah, hello. Do you know where you are? It's <laughs> what the bench. <laughs> exactly. So let me ask you this. So right now, I've heard a lot about what's the, if I, let's say, want to get involved. Like, I feel like I want to see if I can do any sort of impact and help. You know, look at that branding right over there. It's the word impact. This is in my you. This is, why, this is why you get your gigs. <laughs> so what's the, I don't want to say beginner or entry level thing that someone can do. Because what I find is a lot of times people get excited about charities. And they're like, I want to do charity. I want to do this, right? And then when they get to it and like, oh, I got to do all this. <laughs> oh, couldn't I do something else that makes me feel better as work? well? work. I thought it was just doing tequila yeah. shots. Yeah, you know, I helping. just, like, you want me to wrap a hundred of those for these kids? I don't want to do that. On my Instagram. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. So just, I mean, not to cater to someone who's just lazy, but I just want to make it easy for them, someone to have the entry point of like, what can they or someone do? to help the homeless. Like, as you said, you know, don't go up to them and pretend they just have a conversation, maybe talk and stuff. Maybe they don't need that. They just maybe need something else first and then get to the point that they're comfortable about you and then want to speak to you. So what's the entry-level thing you would say to someone who could kind of help the homeless in Hong Kong? Yeah, I mean, well, working with the schools, you know, I get that question a lot. You know, it's like, yeah, number one, first, first and foremost, we need to care. Right? Yeah. And just by caring and, and, and understanding that homelessness is not a simple 
thing. This is not a lazy issue. It's not so a don't look at them issue. like, you know, oh, look at these people. Like, not with that attitude, right? No, I mean... That, That's not much of a friend. It's, <laughs> it's pretty stupid. And I mean, it's just such an illogical thing to judge someone who you don't know, right? To, to look at somebody based on their appearance and, and yeah. try to Who's give them He's probably advice. been I mean, through something stupid. worse than anything you've been through. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Or That's you can imagine yeah. as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which leads to like a real failed definition of empathy. But just uh, on you know on that though, I will say the, the kindness walk is really simple. Right? Yeah, you know, you're not going out there you, whether you speak English or Cantonese, it doesn't matter. You're simply going out and passing a banana. You don't you don't need a degree for that. It's a very simple volunteering activity which takes about an hour. Yeah, and it will give you more insight into the homeless situation in Hong Kong. And on top of that, an hour of walking can burn <laughs> up to 500 calories. There you go. So letting you know during it's COVID times, everyone yeah, should be that is. doing 20,000 steps or 10,000 steps per day. An hour's walk is more than 20,000 steps on average for a person. Think really? about it. You help people, you help yourself. Um, do you, there you go. <laughs> do you find in your work that you have the opportunity to see people at that really early phase where they either become homeless or... or, or going on what you're saying, enter a mentality that would breed homelessness? You know, you know um, yeah, when you think about solving the homeless issue, you think, okay, well, how could we stop homelessness before it happens? Right, right? that's kind of yeah. what I'm getting at. But to be honest, you know, it's impossible because, you know, people will always have fall downs in society, right? So the key that we look at in, in preventing it is in educating society as much as possible. So when we see a homeless individual outside, whether it be you, me, or, or anybody else, your very first thought when you see that person is, that person needs care, that person needs help. That's not somebody who we should judge, that's somebody who needs care, right? And it's unacceptable that anybody should sleep outside. And if you have enough people in society that understand that, it will result in, in bigger change. Is there anything that you, uh, do you think the Hong Kong government does a good job in dealing with it? No, 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 not not in the slightest. What would no. you think? What would you like them to to see them do? Well, I think, I think you have to. There's there's many pieces to the puzzle. It's not an easy fix. I think the the government, you know, could do could do more in working better with the charities that support the homeless. So you have three major government funded charities that they provide a lot of money to, millions and millions of dollars per year, to say the least. And those charities that they pay to support the homeless. Um, are very limited in what they can offer, right? So they're they're typically labeled as are typically forced to label the homeless as street sleepers. Number one, right? They can't provide shelter or real support for individuals with severe mental illness, right? Drug addiction, uh, individuals that have suffered serious trauma. They can't help that community because of the recording, the recording and reporting that they must do for the government, right? So that's that's a huge issue. Um, but then also you have to look at public housing. Right, and having more public housing opportunities for single individuals, right? So we'll meet men on the streets who have been waiting for public housing for 15, 20 years, yeah. which is just, you know, unacceptable. So, you know, those are definitely things, but I think the government really has to kind of stand up and say, you know what, this strategy that we have now in just telling individuals who are homeless and in pain to just go away and go somewhere else, it just doesn't work, right? closing off footbridges where the homeless are and telling them to go away without giving them real options yeah. is unacceptable. You know, so it's a, yeah, it's a real learning process, but it starts with care. You it's know, typical. I mean, you, you see a lot of these small examples of the government suddenly kind of saying, shooting people away. Like, for example, under the bridges, you'd have normally a flat uh, cemented 
area and they'll just all of a sudden have this new renovation where there's like little spiky blocks of you know cement over there so it's un, un yeah, comfortable to, architecture yeah you know, hostile yeah. architecture exactly yeah. or the benches all of a sudden have armrests in the middle you're like really yeah really I love we need that the separation hostile architecture <laughs> exactly yeah yeah it's everywhere actually when you i mean the benches are are one thing you know the old the old hong kong benches they have a really looping armrest yeah 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 right? yeah, yeah. And many homeless individuals, where are they going to lie down in a yeah. safe place? Yeah. So they'll put their, but they were able to put their body, squeeze their body under this trapped big armrest, yeah. right? Which is horrible. Yeah, but of course. At least they could lie down. Yeah. Um, but the government, they're so they're so smart. You know, they yeah. had this new armrest, which is cutting right through, so it's impossible to get your body in. Yeah. And this little strategy, and you're like, well, you can just kind of imagine this government meeting where they're like, oh, yeah, let's design it like this so they can't lie down. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. You know, I don't want anybody living on a park bench, but at least when they're on a park bench, you can find them. Yeah. And you look at the amount of suicide that we see on the streets. Is uh, there a lot of suicide on the streets? Yeah, I think, honestly, daily. You know, I think you're having individuals yeah. commit suicide. So it's a, it's a huge thing. What and do, you, do you, do? I don't mean to ask the gr- grisly question, but do you, are yeah. you finding... Yeah. Uh, cases or oh, sure I had yeah many actually quite a few friends in the past year committed suicide I'm sorry to hear that man no it's part of the yeah it's, that's why we have to fight hard and quick you know to get the results that we need because we offer a lot as a charity you know we have 160 plus people in shelter tonight so we really do work hard in getting individuals off the streets and giving them an incredible care uh, along with that but everything we're doing as a charity is just not good enough at this stage. Yeah, we, we have a lot. We have a lot more to improve on. A long way to go, because uh, yeah, it's serious. Very serious. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest challenge in what you do, or the biggest challenge that you faced since you started? It's uh, yeah, enough time in the day. You just you just have to really really work really hard to get to this stage and. and uh, now we're in a really good position. I would say we've overcome every single step. We're just very solution focused. We've overcome some really big challenges along this. This why we're three years old as a charity. Um, but I think right now we're in such a good position that I can see how, you know, there's some big challenges ahead. But there's definitely solutions because of how many caring people there are in Hong Kong. And do you feel like there's been moments when you thought you were doing it wrong or, or you've made a mistake in how you've approached it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially in looking back, you said a little, we adapt very quickly, you know, and we've done... What were some of the adaptations you had to make? Oh, I mean, one of the very first things, you know, one of the very, very first things we did was we started a laundry program, which was uh, basically passing out... Uh, connecting with laundry shops in yeah. the areas where the homeless stay and then developing a card for that shop we could pass out to the homeless in that area so they could take their clothing and bring it directly to that shop and then get laundry support there yeah right and that worked well you know it was a good program but uh, a better adaptation was in getting our own laundry machines and then having individuals come and do laundry with us and while they're there yeah we get to know them better they can have a coffee have a tea a snack a meal a conversation in, and a, in a more secure setting and yeah. a friendship based, right? Do you yeah. speak Cantonese? Um, no. Does no, that I hold don't. you back from having friendships with a lot of these guys? I, uh, I think I think it probably does in some in some sense, you know. But it, um, you know, our staff are incredible. Um, all but two of us speak are, are fluent uh, Cantonese speakers, and you know, well, Alec, uh, one of the gentlemen I mentioned earlier, who lived in the tunnel. You know, we don't speak the same language. That's the Mohawk guy. Yeah, yeah. I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So but he's yeah, one of yeah. my best friends in the world. We, we, you know, we'll we'll have he beers great, and, yeah. and drink in the Dai Pai Dong together. We, you know, 
we're good, you know. Yeah. But he uh, doesn't speak English, right? No, he doesn't. It, it's improving a little bit, as is my <laughs> Cantonese. I got uh, a couple words now, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, that already shows you that it's not really the language barrier. A lot of times, people tell me, "Oh, I can't really do this because the language barrier, language barrier." I'm like, "When there's a will, there's a way, right?" In many ways, if you really want to do something, like the kindness walk, honestly, it could be a silent one. Yeah. You just walk around, do your thing. You don't need to worry about like, "Oh, but what if they talk to me? What if I want to say something?" Like, don't worry, it'll be fine. <laughs> the, the major action is not the conversation. It's the giving out. It's the connecting in that sense, it is. right? It's making sure they know that they're cared for yeah, and that yeah. there's an opportunity if they want it. Yeah, right? yeah, and, and And not to be one-off. I mean, no one's eating once a year, right? So you we're consider every day. The, yeah. We're every single day. But it is... Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a thing I've learned as well. I really changed is that we're not a charity that we don't save lives as a charity, right? And the reason Alec and all kind of do though, no, we provide opportunities that people need, right? We provide uh, opportunities for shelter. We all deserve, we all need that. We all deserve that food. We all need a friend. We yeah. provide those opportunities. And the reason that the individuals that we help find success is because of them. It's because yeah. of their work, their heart, and what they do, and the effort that they have to make. And um, they just need that little, yeah. little stepping stone at most, right? Like basically, they have the ability themselves. They just need that one little extra step. Yes. That they, that you guys are providing for them to get start bouncing up, bouncing back. Yeah, which goes back to the process of it on the streets. If we try to force that conversation too much, and we try to pull people in for support, it ends up in failure. Yeah. And if they if they make the effort, we offer them the opportunity of coming to our center, and then they come. That's where you find the greatest success. Yeah. And they have to understand that balance. We provide that opportunity, and once we do. We need you to kick ass now. That's, that's, I think that's the interesting thing because, like, when you're talking about this, I face something similar when I go to schools talking to ethnic minority kids as well. A lot of them had disheartened feeling that you know we're not part of society. You know, we're the EM kids. You know, we our our future is kind of just A or B or C. That's at most what we have. Where like a lot of time I talk to them, I say, you know, you don't limit yourself it's kind of like you just need that encouragement or that motivation sort of that image in your head of like hey wait a second you mean i can be doing that that's possible and like, look at me i get confused with jeffrey andrews every exactly week. <laughs> exactly i mean you could be confused as well i mean we could be all be confused you know so stuff like that so it's good it, kind of be confused about well exactly yeah. i mean thankfully right i'd rather be confused by with jeffrey andrews than a lot of other people I know. <laughs> there you go exactly are you hey no but what i'm saying is that uh so it's more like the little stepping stone, the little little encouragement, the little bounce, uh, the bouncing board, right? Mm-hmm. That you would say Impact Hong Kong really is doing for a lot of these people. Yeah. Okay, do, you, okay. do you think there's a difference in how homeless uh, are perceived in Hong Kong versus other countries? No, I think it's kind of the standard because even when I when you speak to schools, you know, and you'll you'll get even even so. The reason I bring that up is because kids have never met a homeless person, right? So a six year old has never met a homeless person. But even they'll have this idea that the homeless are lazy or that there's a choice. Or why do they choose that? Why do they do that when they could do something yeah. else? You know, it's a real, it's just kind of an ingrained thought, you know, and it's such a push narrative. Would you life. say it's also because like a lot of parents kind of scare their kids of like, you know, you might sleep on the streets if you don't work hard now, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's a really yeah, opposite yeah. negative. I always tell people where I say, you know, there, there's, a, there's an image I saw online where like you have one parent yelling at the kids saying, if you don't study hard, you're going to have to, you know, be a street sweeper or whatever. Yeah. And the other parent is saying to the kids, like, hey, if you, if you study hard, you'll be able to help this person, you know, maybe improve their lives and stuff. So it's two different mindsets of the same situation. So would you say that's a Hong Kong issue where a lot of parents think that, oh, sleeping on the streets, that's going to be the ultimate failure if you don't study hard now? Yeah, you see the range, you know, because we do want we do want families to come out. We do want kids to learn. And you'll have some parents who are like, you see, let's go and show that guy some love. And you'll have some parents like, yeah, you see? 
Yeah. If you don't study, that's I told you. Yeah, that'll, that'll be you. Yeah, exactly, right? It's a really bizarre, yeah. bizarre uh, spectrum where you literally yeah, have the yeah. two parents looking at someone going like, oh, you'll become like that or the other. Like, you know what? Let's help that person. Two exactly. Different. And yeah. what do you see more now? Like, do you see that spectrum changing as in the more and more new generation kids in schools kind of saying, yeah, we understand this as an issue rather than like, oh, we better avoid that ever happening to us. Oh, yeah. You see such incredible mindset change. I mean, not just with the kids, with the corporations that we work with. We work with a lot of uh, a lot of banks, law firms, etc., who come on walks with myself. And you know, yeah, you see, you have a moral slight to you claim. Do. <laughs> you do, yeah, you do. You see, yeah, you see people really change in a yeah. very, very short amount of time. So you'll have you'll have people in you know in a ten minute story. You'll have one person at the beginning thinking that oh, homelessness is an easy fix with you know tents that are transformed from coats and you know, a very, very simple fix and you'll have them understanding how important friendship is and how these individuals really need care as yeah. their top need. So within an hour of that kindness walk and the introduction and everything, like you've seen a lot of people's minds just completely change. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge thing. Yeah. So this, this charity is, is quite special because I think I don't, I, I know there's a lot of homeless charities in the world that do great work, but I have to say, I don't know too many homeless charities that would invest as much time as we do in the education side. Yeah. Right? We're working with, you know, 30 plus schools a year. Uh, and we have a big message on social media, how we grew, you know, yeah. and the importance of caring for this community and what happens if you do. How many people come on the walk also to find friends? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, yeah, because it's actually a great. You meet great people. That's what I was gonna say. It's, it's like a good, it's a good, uh, good spot. Definitely. There's an element of like building trust with the homelessness people, yeah. but you've also got to build trust with the people that are going to help you out, right? Yeah. Two of our volunteer walk leaders just got married. Uh, All right. Yeah. Another uh, another group of walk leaders just got engaged as well. So yeah, we got a uh, yeah. There's, there's opportunities there. Yeah, go for it. Coffee meets bagel. It's <laughs> 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 all a different game. Yeah, we're talking about a big community. So, yeah, definitely. What's the most important part of what you, you do personally now, do you think? I think it's in trying to, you know, get these charities to a point where they can be here well past my time, right? So that these charities can be here 100 years from now. They'll be in, in, deeply ingrained in the fabric of Hong Kong and the education system, right? And I think that's the the big challenge. So I have to get my butt off the ground a little bit more which kind of sucks because I really like being on the ground and then more working on building it as a company and ingraining this this vision and culture inside our staff uh, that will then give it the longevity that it needs and what is there anything looking forward that you're really hoping to see you know be realized any big goals coming up yeah massive so we're opening up our first kitchen uh, within the next two months actually which will give us a lot more opportunities for people off the streets in terms of our programs and routine work, but then also in job training and then uh, in having a stronger graduation uh, stream for individuals off the streets to get strong, get the training, and then move on to work with our corporate partners uh, in, in the workforce, right? Um, also looking at uh, opening up our second social enterprise shop, which is our one-of-a-kind clothing shop, which will open up in Wan Chai hopefully this year before summer. Uh, which is, again, more, more job opportunities, saving good quality clothing and products from the landfill, um, which has been going really well. We are, our shop in Jordan has been really successful. So, it's uh, yeah, that's exciting. And then moving a lot more into mental health support, which is really the biggest gap on the streets uh, in drug rehabilitation, uh, purpose, purposeful work and opportunities for them. 
Wow, and yeah. the whole like the whole of Hong Kong, the rest of the world is like looking at 2021, man. Oh my God, it's, this year is going to suck, right? Here you are like so optimistic about all the projects that are upcoming soon, like the summertime with the shop opening. Yeah. I mean, everyone I, else is like, I can't go to Thailand. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right? exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 I, I guess it really is a perspective, right? You see a lot of things and you say, hey, you know what? Let's just make things work out because you've seen so many, like I said, it's the spectrum. You've seen this other end of Hong Kong and the world around you that, you know, comes comparatively the fact that you can't fly to thailand or like the gyms are closed is like yeah whatever it's like no big deal like why are we so whining about that when there's so much more we could be doing with our lives so coming back to that kindness walk thing mm-hmm. would you consider that as something people can do and take and try out and basically experience to hopefully give them a perspective in 2021 oh, for them totally. to right yeah, because you're also you're not just even helping the homeless, right? You're you're helping elderly individuals on the streets, cardboard collectors. You're helping uh, along these walks. We also help all the street cleaners. You know, this Chinese New Year we have our annual street cleaner appreciation week, where we just encourage people in society to take a red packet. And yes, you're helping other people with red packets, but why not give one as well to the street cleaners in your community? Just kind of opens eyes up. So when people go on these walks. I think it's honestly the best volunteering act you can do in Hong Kong because you're just walking on the streets and you're going to do that the very next day. And, you know, my, my daughter, I, I use as an example, and my daughter sees a street cleaner in Hong Kong. You know, it's ingrained in her. Her very first thought when she sees that person is to care for that individual and appreciate what they do. So it is a great activity. Dude, thanks so much for giving us some time today. It's been awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really eye-opening. Um, should we stick around and do a Patreon? Let's do it. Sounds All right. good. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you.